This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Happy finale day, Chad. Happy finale day indeed, although me crying in my bedroom last night while doing prep was not, did not look very happy, but... Uh, Sad I, finale day, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited, Ed. This is obviously a big episode in a lot of ways, so we just probably need to jump into things. A couple of very quick housekeeping things. Facebook message from Michelle, which was really, really lovely. Thank you, Michelle, for your message. And a new Apple podcast review from Lanny Manny. So thank you guys for reaching out and for, uh, and for your contact. We really appreciate it. And now let's just go ahead and go into our final discussion episode for the finale. So it aired on May 16th, 2013, directed by Ken Quapis and written by Greg Daniels, who both wrote and directed the pilot, which is really, really neat that they wrapped all that up with a nice bow. Bookending. Bookending? That's a yeah. word. Bookending. Yeah. The, the, uh, the series. Of course, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant also wrote the pilot as well, but we do get some of our loyal directors and writers here wrapping up our series. This episode takes place one year after the airing of the documentary. The workers and former workers, in some cases, of Dunder Mifflin, Scranton, gather again to reminisce, to celebrate, and to say goodbye. Yeah, what else can you really say? It's, um... I mean, we're going to be talking about it all anyways. <laughs> it's like, yeah... The plot summary is that everything is ending, <laughs> uh, and it's very sad and wonderful and beautiful. <laughs> a couple of uh, just developments on characters since we've last seen them. Dwight is a great place to start. We open on him in a fancy new sports car. He's in his car with the camera guy, but it's a new crew. Dwight's asking why, the, why PBS is sending this new crew, because the doc aired a while ago. He says that they're airing bonus material for the DVD. I kind of laughed at that, like... <laughs> You know, it's, it's it's a little meta. A little bit. Oh, by the way, he's getting married tomorrow afternoon, and he's made Jim his bestest mensch or best man. So clearly their relationship has only gotten much, much better since, oh, I don't know, season one. So they are, uh, there's some, some big steps for Dwight this episode. Jim is biking to work now, and he tells us about the whole bestest mensch development, which he says is shrewd for best man. Mensch is human in German, I think. Bestish is just kind of a made-up word. <laughs> he says, you know what? I spent the last 12 years pranking Dwight, but tonight for the bachelor party, only good surprises. And he calls them Guten Pranken. And so we're going to get into those. Pam has finished her mural for the Irish Cultural Center that she got commissioned for several episodes back at this point. Oscar is running for state senate now against Robert Lipton. How wonderful for him. And he's kind of overtaken Daryl's old office. Makes me wonder if he's been promoted somehow. And something they don't ever really explicitly state, but I don't think Angela's actually working at Dunder Mifflin anymore. And there's a, a quote later in the episode from Dwight that sort of confirms this, I think. But instead of Angela working there, Oscar's gotten promoted and we've got a couple new faces in the accounting department. A couple of new faces, not least of which because Kevin has been fired because of his Clevin catastrophe. <laughs> and there's a new accountant named Dakota. When she goes to Oscar, she asks him about this symbol on Kevin's old paperwork. We learned that that is Clevin, and that is the reason he was officially fired. Kevin used to tell Dwight, a mistake plus Clevin gets you home by 7, but he was home by 4.45 that day. He uh, needed, I guess, an official reason to fire Kevin, and... Um, and did that, as, as we saw at the beginning of the episode. Meredith looks great. She looks cleaner than we've ever seen her. Her hair is a much more natural color of red and, and longer. Her toes have a pedicure. I mean, she looks put together and nice and, I don't know, normal or more normal, which is nice to see her looking healthy. Devin 
is back. You remember Devin? Last time we saw him was in Valentine's Day, I believe, uh, season two, episode 16, when Michael goes to New York after firing him himself, I think on the Halloween episode. Dwight says he always liked Devin, and he was a good replacement after Creed faked his own death in the Baylor the day after the doc aired. So, bit of a turnover in Thunder Mifflin, but got some old faces as well as some new. This is the first we've heard from Devin since Valentine's Day, and the only way we heard from him then was via deleted scene. Michael was in New York and ran across Devin, like, living on the streets, and that's the last I remember hearing anything about him. So he is back. That's good for him. I'm glad his life situation is better now. (laughs) Toby was also fired, along with Kevin, and in that same meeting, Dwight was handing out cakes, telling everybody what what we were celebrating, what we what the cakes were for. And Stanley also retired. He did not quit. He retired. He says, I've been dreaming of this day since I was 18 years old. Uh, so since he started working. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a man named Malcolm, a younger, thinner black guy, has been hired in his place. And Phyllis says, you know, after 16 years, it's strange sitting across from somebody who isn't Stanley, but he'll get there. And we see her feeding him homemade fudge and him saying, you know, I think I've gained a couple pounds since I got here. We learn later that Stanley did move to Florida, Florida Stanley all the time, every day. He's living in a place called Florida City and all he does all day long is sit on his porch carving wooden birds. So good for him. Sounds very relaxing. Creed, as I mentioned, faked his death. After that happened, the police showed up to Dunder Mifflin and it turns out all this time he was an undercover rock star. He was in the band Grassroots in the 60s extra meta because that is creed bratton's real life band and his name is creed bratton we've talked about this a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh, in the show the police said that he sold drugs trafficked endangered species meat and stole weapons grade lsd from the military during his time in that band so he has faked his own death i think for that purpose to escape the police and um we don't get much of him in this episode until the very end, which we will get to because it is lovely. But that's where Creed's been. <laughs> he, he pops up a couple of times throughout the episode. He shows up at a, a panel that we're going to talk about and he shows up at the mm-hmm. the wedding. So he, he's he's around. It's just he's kind of in disguise. <laughs> he wants to be there for the big moments, yeah, but yeah. he can't be. So. so he's not gone forever. That's good. Kevin, by the way, was replaced by a young woman named Dakota, played fittingly enough by Dakota Johnson pre 50 shades of gray post the social network so kind of a step up i guess so she's in the the accounting department she's the one who tells us about kevin's magic number 11 or she's the one who discovers it and oscar's the one who tells us about it he used it to balance his accounts so that's the full reason why kevin got fired and what 11 exactly is daryl and andy both show up at the airport at the same time arriving in scranton Daryl sees Andy when he arrives, but rather than say hi or offer him a ride, he just sort of makes a face and gets in the limo. He tells Andy that he never called because he figured Andy had changed his number, which Andy denies. And the reason he assumed that is because Andy tells us that America's next acapella sensation did air after all, despite our doubts in the quality of the show and the viability as a crowd pleaser on network television they left in the clip of andy interrupting that sweet girl's audition and taking his own chances and sitting on the ground and crying and the clip went viral and got two million hits in the first week and then there were parodies uh they were on snl so they have a nice little moment where bill Hader and seth myers on the weekend update make fun of andy who has been dubbed baby wawa (laughs) 
everybody's just so surprised and concerned for Andy and worried that his life is just awful and miserable because of this terrible thing that happened to him. But he he says he's doing okay. Yeah, he says he's doing all right. And it seems like he is, uh, but no one believes him because surely, I mean, the (laughs) last time they saw Andy, he was only on a downward trend. And surely this is not helping because... You know what? He wanted fame and he got it. Yeah. It was just not the fame he anticipated or wanted. And so he sort of had had his fill. And so they thought, surely he's going to be a wreck. But he seems to be doing okay. He now kind of has his dream job. He's working for Cornell Admissions. And he got to speak the commencement address at a Cornell graduation. No one believes him that A, that happened, and that B, it wasn't a total disaster. <laughs> And it wasn't. Later, we we see a clip, and it's lovely, and and the crowds behind him, and they're they're cheering for him. So life is actually okay for Andy, although no one believes him until he has to prove it. You know, I don't blame Daryl for wanting to distance himself from Andy because you know he's been brushing with the rich and famous. He's in Austin, still with Athlete, which has now been renamed Athlete. They're in the news all the time. Things are going well. He's still hanging out with famous people all the time. And Andy kind of burned his bridges even with Daryl before he left. Or I mean, he wasn't a great friend to Daryl at the very least. Now, as the episode goes on, Daryl does seem to kind of feel bad for not being in contact with Andy, and he he does have his own fair bit of stuff going on, but. Anyways, that, that's Daryl. So he tells Pam and Jim about how great Austin is now and how, you know, the merger that happened is going extremely well. And as he's telling them about it, Jim is sort of sitting behind Pam and you can see his eagerness to hear exactly how things are going, even though he's not involved with the company anymore. Is it just me or is Athlete an even worse name than Athlete? <laughs> yeah, Athlete was better. And it wasn't even a great name, yeah. but it's, and it wasn't even good. It's okay. <laughs> but the company's doing really well, so that's all that matters. And I think maybe the last one is Nelly. She lives in Poland now, as she calls it, the Scranton of the EU. She runs into Toby at the airport, and uh, she's as disinterested in him as the last time we saw them. So even though her location has changed, her uh, romantic inclinations have not. But he's very excited to see her, as we could expect. Yeah, he said he moved to New York, where he's trying to write the great American novel and he's living with six roommates, which are better than friends because they have to give you one month notice before they move out. (laughs) I'm glad he's trying to see the the silver lining in the situation. (laughs) That might wrap up our sort of catch-ups on these characters. So diving into, I guess, more of the plot of the episode, Dwight's getting married the next day and Dwight and Angela are having their bachelor and bachelorette parties respectively. Jim, as the best man or the bestest mensch, is leading up the bachelor party. As you mentioned, he's he's doing Gutenpranken. So the first Gutenprank really is getting all the guys there. Andy and Daryl weren't supposed to be in town, but Jim sort of rearranged everything. He said that he and Pam came up with excuses for every other weekend for this uh, panel that we're going to talk about. Oh, we couldn't do it this weekend. I had two lap band surgeries. Remember that? Yeah, neither do I. He sort of finagled this to happen on the weekend that Dwight was getting married so that Andy and Daryl could be there. Gutenprank number one. Yes, Gutenprank number one. They're heading out for the bachelor party and there's a, a detour and Dwight starts to get really concerned because you can tell he doesn't, he, he trusts Jim, he does, but there's also a sense of, you've been pranking me my whole life, you know, what's, what's going to stop you now? But there are more surprises than pranks because... The detour on their way to the bachelor party is that they pull over on the side of the road in the middle of absolutely nowhere. 
there is a man dressed in like military gear holding a bazooka, <laughs> an enormous giant bazooka. And Dwight is adorably excited. He says, you remembered. So he's expressed <laughs> this to Jim in the past that he wants to shoot a bazooka. And step number one of the bachelor party is smoking cigars and shooting bazookas. And it looks pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I, I would do that. You, you, Is it too late to schedule that with Nathan next weekend? You know, I made that joke with him <laughs> that I don't have the tens of thousands of dollars or whatever it would be to rent a bazooka for the afternoon. So he'll have to, he'll have to not, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. So at the same time that the bachelor party is going on, the bachelorette party is going on too. And at Angela's bachelorette party, we meet her sister. There's only one other mention of her sister I could think of. I didn't explicitly look through everything and see if there were any other mentions. But the only one I remembered is when she spoke about how she and her sister still had a grudge against each other yes. that they held on to for so long that she doesn't remember what they initially fought about. And she was proud of that. And so I would like to think that this means that since getting with Dwight, Angela is just a generally happier person and she reached out and made amends. That's what I'm hoping happened because here her sister is and they've got this made up language that they speak in and everybody loves it, but everybody clearly does not love it. <laughs> it's just gibberish, but they're hanging out together, which is awesome. And at the bachelorette party, there's a stripper that arrives and the stripper is none other than <laughs> Jake Palmer, Meredith's son. It's the same kid who's played Jake since Take Your Daughter to Work Day back in season two or three. And it's really awkward. But Meredith says, hey, don't worry about it. You're, do you're doing work. You're my little entrepreneur. Pretend mom's not here. <laughs> Just do your thing. And it's less awkward at first. He starts dancing and then he starts stripping and then his mom joins in and is like dancing with him and everybody's just trying to like avert their eyes. And then at one point, Meredith takes over and tries to show Jake the proper technique for like grinding on Angela. And it's it's not good. <laughs> yeah, She's the only one actually excited that there is a stripper. No one else is excited. Angela's hiding her eyes like this is not right. what she wants to do. And um the fact that Meredith is the only one egging on her son <laughs> to strip naked is, um, I mean, it's right on brand. It, I should it be is. Surprised. It is. Uh, <laughs> and Angela shouts at one point, Rachel, are you okay? And she says, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the next activity at the bachelorette party wasn't exactly planned. Angela goes to close the front door that's been left open and a mysterious man, it's Mose, grabs her and steals her from the house. It does not seem like the women knew that this was going to happen. Pam calls Jim. We don't hear her side of the conversation, but Jim seems to know that this was going to happen. He relays the info to Dwight that Angela has been stolen. She's been kidnapped. And Dwight knows exactly what this is about. He says, oh, great. Moses is getting into the spirit of the festivities. Fantastic. He just pulled off a Braut Entführung. Entfurt. Okay. Yes, I'm reading off of uh, office quotes. And Entford. Yeah, it's it's E N T F U with the two dots. H R T, uh -huh. if I remember correctly. And Entford. H R T. Entford. Yeah. yeah. College German has has been a while. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's the ceremonial bridal kidnapping, which is another shrewd tradition. So basically, what this means is Mose has to take the bride and hide her at a local pub. Dwight has to go find his bride, and once he finds her, he has to buy everyone there a drink. He's excited. All right, let's get looking. I, I, I need to find my bride. And so Jim says, well, how are you going to do this? 
the tradition is for the groom to search for her, right? So where would Moe's hide her? Where is the last pub you would visit? Jim knows exactly where that is, and he tells the driver of the limo where to go. Now, Kevin, we mentioned, was fired. What he did was he bought a bar, (laughs) and he now owns a bar and bartends. And, of course, that is the last bar that Dwight, who fired him, would visit. So that is where Moe's, smartly, has taken Angela. Turns out this was another Jim prank. This is Gutenprank number three. Because he thinks it's time for Dwight and Kevin to bury the hatchet, to make up, to become friends again. And they arrive, Moe's and the family are there. It's Kevin's bar, which honestly, good for him for, like, buying this bar. Yeah. He's, a, he's a business owner now, which is awesome. But Kevin kicks him out. He says, I don't want to see you. You know, you're, you're, the, you're the guy that fired me. But Jim insists that they talk, and he makes them work it out. We can discuss their conversation in, in the funny moments because it's pretty great. Right. <laughs> but they do work it out and, uh, and are friends by the end of the night. Guten prank number three. Yeah, that's so great of Jim. He says in a talking head while Kevin and Dwight are talking that he knew that Dwight missed Kevin. It wasn't a personal thing that Kevin got fired for. It was work-related reasons. And he had caught Dwight making Kevin out of a woolly willy. <laughs> and so he said, everybody deserves to be happy on their wedding day. And so he brought Kevin and Dwight back together and they make up and it's great. And also at the bar, just worth pointing out that Nate, Rolf, and Gabor all appear at the bar too. So they've they've either already made amends or Jim convinced them to come along so that they could after the events of uh, Junior Salesman when mm-hmm. Dwight didn't hire any of them. So those people are there. It's cool. Anything else to discuss before the panel? Um, I nothing really to discuss. I I I was just going to say that there was a quote earlier in the episode, like really early in the episode. It was Dwight talking to Angela while they were doing yoga or whatever that was outside Tai Chi. Maybe he said it just feels empty now that everybody's gone or now that everybody's not here. What Jim has been doing through all these Guten pranks is bringing everybody back together. So Jim is doing awesome work, being a good friend, being a good bestishmensch for Dwight. And by the end of the night, everybody's ready for the wedding the next day, which is really cool. With the exception maybe of Angela being ready for the wedding, we should have mentioned that at the end of Gutenprank number three, Dwight does find the bride where he finds Mose and Mose leads him to the bride. And the bride is in Mose's trunk of his car. And that's where he has left her for all night. And she is rightfully pissed and her legs are numb <laughs> and she cannot walk and she gets out of the car and just curses at Moe's because <laughs> that makes sense it, it should be noted that that her legs are are not functioning because they've gone numb <laughs> so that that will unfortunately be a, a a lasting symptom for kind of the rest of the episode before we get to the next thing there was one small thing that we skipped over we could save it for funny moments but since we're talking about bringing everybody together there was one stop during the bachelor party where they stopped at a restaurant and they had a private room and they're waiting on the waitress for a long time before they're helped and all of a sudden the quote waitress does show up but she's not a waitress but only dwight doesn't know that (laughs) It, it is elizabeth the stripper from ben franklin how wonderful of Jim to track her down and to give her some more work, I guess. And from Fun Run, too. She oh, yeah, the, she was. Uh, the nurse, the, the rabies nurse. Yeah, that, that's a good callback. <laughs> I forgot about that. She's back for the third time doing favors for the office. And Dwight is just clueless. He just thinks that this is a waitress taking off her clothes and grinding on him instead of taking their order. And so he does not think she's a very good waitress at all. Being very bad at her job. <laughs> 
she's not good. She needs to be fired immediately. The next thing is the next morning. This is before the wedding, obviously. Angela doesn't show up because it's also the wedding day, obviously. And so they can't see each other. So Dwight's there. Angela's not. And her legs are still numb from being in the trunk. And so Jim and Pam are talking about being nervous. And Stanley shows up from Florida. So really, the whole gang is together now. And the crowd is pretty thin at first. Everybody looks out and they're like, oh, well, okay. I guess people really don't care if that this is a thing. Andy says, you know what? This is probably my fault because of the internet backlash against me. People weren't kind. And so he goes to check to see if they should leave. And instead of the manager, he finds a huge crowd of people waiting to get in. And they greet Andy Bernard with, it's Andy Bernard. It's the Nard Dog. And the whole crowd starts a chant of, rid it, did, did, do. And Andy is just speechless and caught up in everything. This crowd is representative of us as fans of the show because, you know, Andy's legacy from the show isn't baby Wawa. That's for people who only saw the viral video. But the people who watch the documentary, the people who watch the show, we see Andy get from A to B to C. We know him incredibly well. We're, we, we care for him despite some of his low points in this last season. So we and the audience here sees him the way Andy always wanted to see himself. And so that's a really great moment for him, really validating for him too, I think. When he steps out and sees this crowd and the first person shouts, look, it's Andy Bernard. He kind of hides his face because he's so used to being ridiculed and made fun of. Mm -hmm. And he sees this giant crowd of people pointing him out and he's never been recognized on a wide scale in a positive light. It's only been negative. And so he's immediately trying to kind of hide his face. And then someone shouts, Rita to to do. And, oh, the chanting starts and he's just so happy to finally, finally, really, since the day we met him, to be recognized on a wide scale and appreciated for who he is and what he did. And like his parents never gave that to him. Mm -hmm. His coworkers really never gave that to him much. There was that brief span where he was a good manager and then, you know, everything broke loose, but he's finally feeling accepted and loved. And he's just, his smile is huge. And it's nice to see him happy after what was a rough year. Yeah, it's funny that he put in so much effort into trying to be somebody that could be famous, and that ended up being his downfall. Mm -hmm. And now here he is just being recognized for who he was along the way. Yeah. It's really nice. So the panel starts, and people in the audience obsess over Jim and Pam the way so many fans did at the time, and so many fans still continue to obsess over them. Mm -hmm. There's lots of awkward questions about, you know, how Pam, how did you pay Jim back for leaving Athlete for you? And his response is... She pays me back every day just by being my wife. And everybody's, aww. <laughs> and it's so, uh, somebody somebody asks about the teapot letter. And Pam says, you know, I'd rather keep that more private. I, I'd rather keep some things private for ourselves after nine years of having everything filmed. It seems like, again, also just like in real life, everybody's just kind of giving Pam crap for doubting Jim or for making Jim give up on his dreams or for not paying him back in the same way that he did to her. I'm just so glad that Pam takes a moment to stand up for herself. She says, you know what? I was scared. Maybe I did doubt Jim a little bit, even though I was wrong to do that. So she's she's saying, you know, I'm human. I make mistakes, but I have a right to be human and make mistakes. All of you saw a fairy tale romance watching this documentary, but last year didn't feel like one. But now that we've gotten past it, we weathered it, we endured it. Our, our love for each other is deeper and it's stronger than it ever was. And it's better than a fairy tale. So once again, Pam is standing up for herself in the face of people criticizing her. 
It should be noted that as well as the main office cast, we also get David Wallace in in the mix, which is neat to have him there mm-hmm. um, as the CEO of Dunder Mifflin and a longtime cast member, if you will, of the documentary. Someone asks him a question as well. How did it feel to see your lives played out on TV? He said, it's like seeing a documentary about how your food is made. It's kind of disgusting. You learn a lot, but I didn't want to know any of it. I can see how he would think that, you know, just yeah, seeing how how your company is really running and stuff like that which i thought was interesting to see the truth of some things i'm sure like what yeah <laughs> true michael stories what was going on <laughs> yeah behind behind closed doors when you were not there mm. a woman asks how everyone thought that they were portrayed in the documentary was it accurate and we learned a big thing about meredith she says you know i actually have some beef with that uh for the first seven years of being filmed i was getting my phd in school psychology <laughs> And they didn't show it. I was getting hammered, but hey, it was college. So, wow, you know, she had this huge thing going on that they just didn't catch any of. Dr. Meredith Palmer. Yeah, seriously, which is which is really neat that that was all going on. And it also shows that as well as you might think you know someone and you've seen nine years of their life, you still don't know them. And uh, but there's that people are deeper than than you think. They've got more stuff going on. And then the last thing we see of the panel in the episode is the first thing in the episode to destroy me. <laughs> <laughs> the first of many. Yeah, a, a woman comes up to the microphone, and she's played by Joan Cusack, so you know she's important. <laughs> and she has a question for Aaron. And she says, you know, Aaron, the thing I found most compelling about the documentary was your search for your birth mother. And you know what? I would just imagine that you hate her, that you'd just be so angry at her for abandoning you. And she just sort of stares expectantly, like, your answer means a lot to me. Although Aaron doesn't really get that vibe, I don't think. She says, you know, maybe sometimes, but not like real hate, like like kid upset with their parents hate. Like, I'd say, I hate you, mom. And she'd say, go to your room and I'd have a room and that'd be cool. And then we'd have dinner together. And she says, I don't know, I'd have to meet her. And the woman hesitates a moment and just asks, Aaron? Aaron has no clue what more this woman wants. She says, is there a repeat question? Do you have a follow-up? She repeats herself, Aaron, and it starts to dawn on the rest of the panel. Finally, Aaron understands, and she steps down and tearfully runs to her mother. And as they share the special moment together and everyone applauds, a man steps up to the mic. And this one is played by Ed Begley Jr., so you also know he's important. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, Aaron, same question, but about your dad and so i just cry all the tears and i'm doing it a little bit now too as aaron (laughs) has this moment it so much of her arc on this show has been about her identity as an orphan or as a foster child about not having parents or siblings about helping nelly to adopt a child of her own and for her to now find her real parents even as an adult it's just a really satisfying wrap-up for her character We see Phyllis crying, who, of course, had this big vested interest in Aaron's family unit. They thought for a brief time that there's a chance she may have been Aaron's mom. And, you know, she she didn't end up being her mom, of course, but she did feel awfully maternal towards Aaron. And and it's nice to see that she's so happy to see Aaron relieved and so many just essentially answered prayers for Aaron that she finally, finally, after a lifetime of, of strife, gets to meet her parents and they want to meet her. They sought her out, mm-hmm. which is, which is huge. She didn't have to seek them out. They found her. It's a really beautiful moment. And, uh, and they spend the rest of the day with her. Yeah. And we'll get to see them later in the episode. 
Uh, we also, as you mentioned, we see Creed in the audience. He's got a big, long beard. So he is in hiding. I think it's funny that no one recognizes him in the crowd, but he's incognito. He's hiding, of course, from the government. So uh, he has to put on a pretty good disguise. And then we move over to the wedding. It's the wedding day. And we see uh, Kelly and Ravi, first of all. They are still together. And Kelly's still Kelly. The Kelly we know and love. And, and Ravi is handsome as ever. And, and then we see Ryan, who is with a baby. Kelly assumes that he's a Manny now and that, that he's just on the job. And we learn from Ryan that he, he says, well, I was dating this girl. And one day she went out for a new charger for her e-cigarette and never came back. Oldest story in the book. <laughs> I think there was a different, a different item to get in the past, but it's, you know, it's the modern age. So uh, he was abandoned with this baby. And now he's a dad. So we get to see Kelly and Ryan catch up a bit. I don't know. Should we just follow this through? Yeah. Uh, Ravi doesn't look very excited to see Ryan after all this time, uh, though he also didn't really look like he was super enjoying Kelly's company before Ryan showed up because <laughs> Kelly was being Kelly, as you said. So, I mean, it's it's Kelly. <laughs> and at the reception after the wedding, Ryan comes up. He says, hey, Ravi, can you take a look at my baby? His name is Drake, which is a mix of Drew and Blake, by the way. And he says, you know, he's got a bit of a rash. He's hot. Could you please go inside and examine him? And also, I'm feeling dehydrated, so I could use a break and some water. And so I'm going to stay out here. Thank you. Go inside. This is good for me and for Drake. And so Ravi takes Drake inside to examine this baby. And Ryan says, don't worry. He'll be fine. I let him suck on a strawberry and he's allergic, but he'll get over it really fast. He says, I had to talk to you. And Kelly is just in awe. You gave your baby an allergic reaction just to talk to me. <laughs> and they attack each other's faces with their mouths. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Yes. <laughs> and, and to Kelly, that is the height of flattery that he would injure his child to be with her. Like... <laughs> That's the most romantic thing. And um, yeah, so they, they attack each other with, with kisses and they run off together. And when I say they run off together, Ryan leaves his son. He abandons his son with a stranger after his mother has already left him. Ugh! Yeah. Okay, so he's a horrible person. That's confirmed. Uh, Ryan tells Kelly, we're going to be together forever. I finally mastered commitment. <laughs> you know, except for the baby you just yeah. abandoned. I have feelings about this. <laughs> yeah, I have to ask, do we really think that Drake was Ryan's son, though? I didn't think twice about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't guess we have any real reason to doubt it. And if it was, it's funny that he was the one who got ditched by his girlfriend, considering the fact that right. Kelly had used fake pregnancy in the past to get Ryan to commit. And so it kind of turned against him here. And you know what? As awful as this scenario is, Ryan and Kelly were always going to end up together <laughs> always they deserve each and, other yeah that's exactly the right way to put it they deserve each other it could this couldn't be any more them and i'm happy for them i guess but honestly i'm probably more happy for ravi it seems like this was his get out of jail free card <laughs> he comes back <laughs> yeah. out with drake and he asks where they are and kevin says you know what they they ran off together and kelly was hoping that you would keep drake ravi just says okay this that's enough here have this baby call child services report an abandoned child but nelly who has always wanted a child steps up and says hey i'll i will take drake and 
I don't know what the paperwork for that kind of thing is. <laughs> I was just thinking what the legality here is. What any but... <laughs> anything like that is, especially I don't think we even mentioned this earlier. Nelly has moved to Poland. So she Yeah, I mentioned that. Oh, did you? Okay, good. So yeah. she's not even living in the States, but she's got a baby now. And I'm I'm happy for her. Again, I guess. It, it's just okay. You're running off with somebody else's baby. I don't know if you have to file paperwork or do anything else, but I'm glad she she's finally got the family that she wanted. She seems so happy to watch this baby and, and to raise it hopefully forever and in her eyes. And she does, I guess, give herself some legal safety. She tells the camera crew, tell Ryan that if he wants his baby, we'll be somewhere in Europe. <laughs> so he can come <laughs> find us. But she has no plans of giving Drake back to his dad who doesn't deserve a kid. No, no. Back to pre-wedding. <sighs> Yes. Angela is still upset about last night. She's still ranting and raving and she she stumbles in her heels a little bit because her legs are still slightly numb and she yells at Phyllis. You should have just locked the door when I asked you to. But then Angela's sister, Rachel, gives Angela a look and Angela apologizes to Phyllis because you know what, Phyllis, you did not know. And she says it doesn't really matter as long as I can get to the altar. And Phyllis says, oh, I'm going to get you to that altar. You can take that to the bank. Seeing how they have become friends is another arc to wrap up nicely. For a long time, they were probably even bigger rivals than Jim and Dwight in a lot of ways because of their time on the party planning committee and how Angela ruled it with an iron fist and how Phyllis blackmailed her during Angela's affair with Dwight while engaged to Andy. And now Phyllis is promising to get Angela to the altar to get married no matter what. And sure enough, she carries Angela down the aisle. It's great. It's a really nice wrap up for them. We get a deleted scene sort of on this, so I won't go much into it. But basically, Angela has grown up a lot. And I think a lot of that happened in season nine. She just, she became much more well-rounded and, and mm -hmm. whole and um, even-tempered. So her forgiving Phyllis for something that is not, Phyllis didn't know. And so don't blame her for it, I think is, is a huge stepping stone for Angela. The thing that is going to wreck us next is just... Uh, uh. it's my takeaway pretty much from the whole episode very soberly jim approaches dwight before the ceremony as dwight's getting ready he's getting dressed and jim has tears in his eyes and he said dwight dwight focus i i don't know how to tell you this but we have a problem and dwight says what what's going on and jim says the minister told me that it's tradition for the bestest mensch to be older than the groom dwight is just totally taken aback. He says, I've never heard of this. This cannot be. And Jim says, you know, I obviously have not heard of this rule, but I am significantly younger than you. So, and Dwight says, ah, significant is, that's a big word. He's, ah, well, you know, either way, I'm definitely younger. But regardless, I can't be there for you. I cannot stand up there with you. I'm so sorry. And Dwight just, now his eyes are in tears. Jim, I, ah. Uh, and, and Jim, in tears, says, I, I wish there was something I could do. And he looks off towards the door, and Dwight wants to know what he's looking at. So he turns, and who is standing there but Mr. Michael Gary Scott? <laughs> All gray, and now I'm going to cry. Dang. <laughs> he's just, he's come for the wedding, and he's come to be the stand-in bestest mensch. And uh, Dwight says, Michael, I can't believe you came. <laughs> and in true Michael form, he whispers through tears, that's what she said. <laughs> and they hug it out, and it's so good to see him. It's so good. He's all older and gray and weathered, and it's the best. He's all grown up. 
his last line before leaving the show in season seven, Goodbye, Michael, was that's what she said. It was right after he took off his mic. He said, this is going to feel so good. And then he took it off and he mouthed, that's what she said. And so how fitting for him to come back in his first line to be, that's what she said. And, you know, for Michael to be 100% absent from the show since that episode, for him to make a sudden appearance just for Dwight's wedding speaks volumes about, one, how Michael has looked back on his friendship with Dwight since leaving, and two, the lengths that Jim went to to make Dwight's wedding as special as it could possibly be. So those two things, I mean, we saw Michael and Dwight's relationship their very rocky relationship through the course of the show. There were times where they were best buds, where they hung out. There were times where Michael just sort of put up with Dwight. There were times when Dwight tried to usurp Michael. I mean, it, there there was all kinds of rocky relationships and it ended on a high note and now it even ends on a higher note here in his final episode in The Wedding. It's one of those things he wouldn't miss, you know? Mm-hmm. He doesn't miss the weddings. He was at Jim and Pam's wedding, of course. That was easier being an employee of Dunder Mifflin, but when another Dunder Mifflin employee marries a Dunder Mifflin employee, you show up. <laughs> and when it's Dwight, you show up. And he did big, huge Gutenprank number four. The ultimate Gutenprank. <laughs> really, 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 really A-plus bit there. It's so good to have him back. Then we get the wedding. They're standing in their graves, as we spoke about true tradition being. Oscar is holding Philip, and we learn later that Oscar is Philip's godfather. So what a change in that relationship over the course of this season. Kevin reads from Song of Solomon in the Bible at the wedding. And we see, as he's reading, we see pairs of people who love each other. (laughs) We see Aaron and her mother together. We see Phyllis and Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. (laughs) We see Kelly and Ryan. (laughs) And we see Moe's and Scarecrow, (laughs) which is a funny reference to just a few episodes ago. Moving on, when Aunt Shirley's response to Angela saying, that her and Dwight are just friends was that was what Mo said about that scarecrow and look what he did to that poor thing. And the scarecrow's dressed in a nice dress and Moses looks off lovingly at his scarecrow bride. I don't know. Those are love eyes for sure. (laughs) He's very, he has feelings about this scarecrow. The, The ceremony concludes. Dwight and Angela are finally married and they seem so happy. And Michael is standing up there with them and they kiss while standing in their graves. And uh, then they head over to the reception where Pam and Michael talk for a while. And and Pam has a talking head where she says, Michael has so many pictures of his kids. He had to get two phones with two numbers and he pays two bills. He's just so happy to have a family plan. (laughs) Logistically makes no sense because you can, whatever, it's fine. But he doesn't know when he's... He's willing to uh, to pay the two cell phone bills if that means he gets extra data to, right. <laughs> to have baby pictures on. Yeah, I mean, Michael never had anything but a flip phone, I think, through the course of the show. So for him to have a smartphone now and have pictures, it makes sense that he wouldn't really know what he's doing. But it doesn't matter because right. he's got two phones full of pictures of his kids. We see just a, a few small things uh, throughout the reception following the wedding. Dwight and Angela dance to Angela by Motley Crue, and he's just holding her in the air and swinging her around the dance floor. They're having a blast. Aaron is dancing with her father. He asks, where did you learn to dance like that? And she says, I've always just been really good at dancing. And we see them doing the same dance moves without realizing Toby is dancing with Pam and just sobbing. <laughs> Pam asks, is it me? Is it Nellie? He sobs, it's everything, (laughs) and just lays his head down on her shoulder and cries. And we get another moment that breaks me, not as much as like Michael, but it it brings a few tears. Phyllis and Stanley are dancing together. They say they missed each other, 
And Phyllis has a talking head where she's holding back tears at first. She says, you know, lots of people think that Stanley Hudson's a mean old grump. But and then she really starts crying. Would a grump make this? And she holds up this little wooden figure, this carving of her with bird legs because Stanley carves birds. But it's Phyllis very clearly. And it's wonderful. It's really it's really nice. Here we have another relationship that started distant. Do you remember back in Conflict Resolution when Phyllis said, Stanley and I are close? And his response was, we sit close. And she was clearly Mm -hmm. disappointed because she thought they were friends and he didn't really think so. But now here, Stanley has made her a gift without expecting anything in return. It's a testament to their time sitting and working together for so many years. We find out in a deleted scene that Phyllis started working at Dunder Mifflin only two days after Stanley did. And maybe it's also a testament to the temperament of the retired Florida Stanley. <laughs> He's mellowed yeah, out. But he can big sweetheart. Can back on things with, with positivity and, <laughs> and uh, remember kindly his time at Denner Mifflin. One other talking head from Michael. <laughs> really his only second line and his, his last line in, in, in the show, I think. He says in a talking head, crying. I feel like all my kids grew up and then they married each other. It's every parent's dream. (laughs) Not every parent's dream, (laughs) but it must feel an awful lot like that for someone who saw his employees, saw his office as his family. That must be so cool to watch them all fall in love and get married. Yeah. (laughs) Especially his, you know, his key players, Mm -hmm. as, as it were. He's, he's pretty emotional and, He's such a family-oriented guy, as we have talked about before, and so he loves love. Uh-huh. And um, like, remember when when Jim and Pam announced that they were engaged, and he just tackles Jim, <laughs> right. and like, it's just he's he's everyone's biggest fan. Well, okay, not everyone, but he's right. <laughs> he is he's such a big advocate for the couples in in the office, and. This has just got to be a great feeling for him. Yeah, he always looked at Dunder Mifflin through his seven seasons as his best friends and family. He didn't have one at the time, but now he has one. But Dunder Mifflin's still family. And so it's really nice. The reception ends with us finding out that there is a after party. There is an after party that is taking place in the warehouse being thrown by the documentary crew. Daryl says he's going. He says, hey, Toby, are you going? Toby says, you know what? I think we're going to turn in early. And Andy, Meredith, Pete, and Val, she was at the wedding too all encourage toby and say hey everybody's going you have to go toby and when he says he'll go everyone cheers it's it's really nice that toby has a win here at the end of the wedding to feel like he's wanted and that his presence there will be appreciated and so that's the next step but we do have a a quick detour to take before we get to the after party jim and pam stop home after the wedding and they pull up to their house and who steps out of their house but carol sills Michael's old girlfriend and real estate agent. She apologizes to Pam. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Pam says, why why are you still here? And Jim has no idea what's going on. It starts out as like, what's happening? And then it turns into, no, what's going on? Guys, talk to me. And Pam says, okay, so this past year has been really great. And you've been great. And I just, I know you had this choice to make. and." You had to give up something for me, but I never wanted you to have to give up anything. So I thought if I could get us an offer, then there wouldn't be anything standing in the way. And I could come to you with this big gym gesture and show you all at once just how much I love you and how much I really do believe in your future. Jim says, 
you were going to sell the house without me. Pam says, well, you bought the house without telling me, so I thought I could sell it without telling you. <laughs> Jim is kind of smiling about this. He goes, okay, all right, that makes sense, that's fair. Where would we go? And she says, well, Austin, I was thinking. Austin being where athlete is, or athlete, I should say. <laughs> so this is Pam's big, huge gym gesture, her stamp of approval on his future, on, on seeing Daryl and seeing how happy Daryl was and on seeing how interested and how much Jim clearly missed that business. But he didn't talk about it because he made a promise and he's going to keep that promise and he's going to be there for his family. But Pam saw all of that and she's now ready. The team isn't ready until everyone's ready and now everyone's ready. So she is agreeing and, and deciding with Jim to move to Austin. So they will be relocating. And as we see at the after party, Jim tells Daryl something in a whisper and Daryl accepts it with a what? And gives him a big hug. So he's psyched. It does sound like, yeah, he's going to be joining Athlete again and being a part of that team. And they're moving to Texas. Yay. <laughs> Jim says, I promise you, you don't have to do this for me. And Pam's response is, I'm doing it for us. And I'm not trying to hate on Jim because we're past it and so are they. But the way Pam did this whole secret behind your back thing is so much better than what Jim did because she was considering the next step for Jim, not the next step for herself. It was a family-centered action. And when the couple says, the couple that Carol was showing the house says they want to buy the house, Jim says, you want to do this? You really want to do this? And she says, I really want to do this. And obviously they're both excited because they know that this is a move and a choice that they're making together. They have learned this through their experiences over the last year. Jim and Pam are making decisions together now and they're making a big step and it's awesome for them. Then we get to the uh, after party hosted by PBS in the warehouse where Pam reveals her mural, which is a painting of everyone in the office, which is pretty cool. This is painted in the same spot where the how paper is made mural and then the butts are painted <laughs> on top of that. So so she had to start all over and she thought, you know, this is way better. This is the story of us, not the story of paper. And really, that's what's important is the people. And uh, there's a Pam talking head where she says, I didn't watch the whole documentary. After a few episodes, it was too painful. I kept wanting to scream at Pam. It took me so long to do so many important things. It's just hard to accept that I spent so many years being less happy than I could have been. Jim was five feet from my desk, and it took me four years to get to him. It'd be great if people saw this documentary and learned from my mistakes. Not that I'm a tragic person. I r I'm really happy now. It would just make my heart sore if someone out there saw this and said to herself, be strong, trust yourself, love yourself, conquer your fears, just go after what you want and act fast because life is not that long. Such a well-spoken piece of advice. Life's short. Yeah. You don't miss the opportunities that you have because very likely, it, it, it very well could have happened that Jim and Pam did not end up together. It, they almost didn't several times. You just got to act on, on what you know to be true. And they finally did. Yeah. My favorite line from that talking head is when she says, it's just hard to accept that I spent so many years being less happy than I could have been. So pursue things that make you happy, guys. Like make yourself happy, make people around you happy. So they, they try to take a picture in front of the mural and the PBS executives are all around and it's just turned into this sort of like big wig party more than it's about the people of Dunder Mifflin. And so they decide, 
hey, let's sneak upstairs. And so they all sneak upstairs while the party's happening in the warehouse still. Dwight and Angela show up, they're foregoing their honeymoon for a night so that they can hang out with everyone tonight while they're all together. And Pam and Jim say, hey, Dwight, here's our next step. And as they finish up telling him that they are leaving and moving to Austin, he says, you're fired. You're both fired. Jim says, come on, man, let's not end this on a bad note. Dwight says, don't be an idiot. (laughs) It's for the severance. The best I can do is one month for every year you've been here. That's the max. And he says, you'll always have a place to stay if you're ever in the area, in my barn. (laughs) And it... Uh, I can't say enough about Dwight's growth over the course of the show. Like, I think he has one of the best arcs of any character in the show. He started off completely selfish, 100% selfish, unless it was about Michael, I guess. And he had a secret relationship with Angela early on, but his selfishness and his rigidity gave way to real care for others over these last couple of seasons in learning to share his emotions and to trust in other people. And now here he is. He's successfully managing a branch, the thing he's always wanted to do. He just married the woman he's loved all these years, whether he knew it the whole time or not. And he he has a talking head. He says, do I get along with my coworkers? Well, first of all, I don't have coworkers anymore. I have subordinates. Have I gotten along with my subordinates? <laughs> he says, let's see. My supplier relations rep, Meredith Palmer, is the only person I know who knows how to properly headbang to Motorhead. We see them doing so in her van. Uh, Oscar Martinez, my accountant, is now godfather to my son. Angela Schrute, my former accountant. So there's the line that makes me think that Angela's not actually working at Dunder Mifflin mm. anymore. Uh, is now my wife. My top salesman, Jim Halpert, was best man at my wedding, and office administrator, Pamela Beasley Halpert, is my best friend. So, yes, I'd say I have gotten along with my subordinates. And we should say, in this last part of the episode, all these talking heads that we're getting, reminiscing on their time spent and what the documentary meant to them, we're seeing old clips of the show, which make it even more of an emotional gut punch because we're seeing things we're seeing things that apply to what they're talking about. So when, for example, when he says... Pamela Beasley Halper is my best friend. We see the moment in the injury where Dwight has a concussion and they're hanging out together. And he like boops her on the nose. Yeah, like it's super cute. uh, (laughs) And that's a friendship that was long in the making. And now here he is and he's admitting Pam's my best friend. And Jim was my best man. And so many awesome things have happened because of this place. There's a whole series of talking heads um, in this after after party upstairs in the office. So we can just go through a few of them. Andy has a talking head. He said, I spent so much of my time here at Dunder Mifflin thinking about my old pals, my college acapella group. The weird thing is now I'm exactly where I want to be. I got my dream job at Cornell and I'm still thinking about my old pals. Only now they're the ones I made here instead of in college. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Someone should write a song about that. That was actually, we can finally say it, another, that, that was our other um, possible name for this podcast was the good old days, because these were their good old days. This is the time that they're going to look back on and think about fondly and when they met their spouses and when they met their best friends and the godfather to their kids. And this is where their life happened. And you only know that it happened after you've left it. And you look back and wow, that was my life that happened and it's a really that's my favorite andy line in the entire show yeah i really liked that title (laughs) i was really sad to let it go 
but we did it because of the whole no spoiler thing. Uh, in American Workplace, you know, that's used in season nine too, but that's just sort of a generic name. It's an American Workplace. That's what it is. Whereas the good old days is a direct <laughs> quote from the final episode, kind of hard to explain for newcomers and have have them wait until the last episode to understand what the title's re- referencing. Uh, so that's why we didn't pick that. I have concept art for <laughs> the podcast. I'll, I'll post sometime. I'm not sure I've ever seen that. <laughs> uh, it, it's really sloppy, but I'll show it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Andy had some really, really low lows in season nine. But this is one of the highest highs for him, for anybody yeah. in the whole show. And it's a lesson to look fondly on the past. Sure. Reminisce, be nostalgic, but don't do that at the expense of living in and enjoying the now. That's that's what I get from that. Enjoy yeah. where you are. I don't want to say let go of the past, not necessarily what you should do, but enjoy the now more. Don't don't glorify the past at the expense of today. There are more talking heads I'm sure we're still going to get through, but uh Daryl, we mentioned the commencement speech earlier. Daryl's is the one who finds it and this is where we actually see some of Andy's commencement speech at Cornell. And he ends with, you might feel sorry for me, but I actually feel sorry for you because you're about to leave Cornell. Because Andy went to Cornell, Katie. And uh, <laughs> I always forget that. Yeah, me too. I, I had to read it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so say it with me. Oh, I can so just sit here and cry. <laughs> and Daryl congratulates him on a good speech. And Andy says, thanks, Dad. Daryl. <laughs> so Andy, again, getting approval from people he never really asked for approval from, or at least not here. Uh, Creed makes an appearance. Apparently, he's been living in the office again. It's not the first time he's been doing so. We see his clothes hanging in a closet, and he steps out of the restroom and just his boxers holding a toothbrush. <laughs> and everyone's surprised, but he dresses up and he brings out the guitar and he plays an original Creed Bratton song, actually. I didn't know what the song was until I looked from it up. From the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Like actual Creed. It's called All the Faces. And, and it is wonderful. They play the, the lyrics we hear are the, the two most relevant to what's going on. The first opening line is I saw a friend today. It had been a while and we forgot each other's names, but it didn't matter because deep inside the feelings still remain the same. And so it's about how time passes, but friendships and relationships are forever. And we hear another line later. He says, all the faces that I know have that same familiar glow. I think I must've known them somewhere once before. So again, it's, it's just talking about the, lasting nature of true friendships and that's what these people have these are these are true friendships and then creed has a talking head following his song which is the most soberly and level-headed we've ever heard creed speak (laughs) he says you know it all seems so very arbitrary i applied for a job at this company because they were hiring i took a desk at the back because it was empty but no matter how you get there or where you end up human beings have this miraculous gift to make that place home now let's do this. And we see cops taking him by the arms and leading him out of the office because they have found him. Yeah, I would imagine Dwight called. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I would. You know, I love you, man, but you got to go to jail now. So Creed is now probably heading to prison. But he seems at peace with that. It's been a good run. <laughs> it's been a good run. And I, I, this has always held such a special place in my heart. Like that song at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's it's. Not unlike at all what we saw Andy saying just a few episodes ago as he was leaving. Mm-hmm. Everyone's gathered around. They're all leaning on their partners and on their, on their spouses and, and hanging around with their friends, just listening to Creed play. Knowing that he will very well go to jail here <laughs> very soon, but enjoying each other all together for the last time. 
Jim has a couple of talking heads. Uh, the first, he says, imagine going back and watching a tape of your life. You could see yourself change and make mistakes and grow up. You could watch yourself fall in love, watch yourself become a husband, become a father. You guys gave that to me, and that's an amazing gift. And he has another one where he says, I sold paper at this company for 12 years. My job was to speak to clients on the phone about quantities and types of copy or paper. Even if I didn't love every minute of it, everything I have, I owe to this job. This stupid, wonderful, boring, amazing job. And this talking head is so great because it is a mirror of his first talking head ever in the pilot episode. Again, it's about being thankful for what you have in the moment because you never know what opportunities will be thrown your way or how things will affect your life until you get somewhere down the line and you look back on it. You've got to look at everything as an opportunity, whether it's an opportunity for love or growth or reflection or whatever else. And for them to have this this snapshot into their lives for a decade is really just an amazing gift to look back and truly be thankful for what this job and what the people around them have given them. And this is actually a mentality that I try to apply to my life. And I think about this talking head actually all the time, not to get personal, but like my life hasn't gone exactly where I thought it would go, but the things I did and the people I met along the way, I studied music in college. I'm not doing music now, but if I didn't study music in college, I wouldn't be marrying my husband to be a week from today, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Your life will go different directions than you plan, but it's going to be okay. You're going to meet the people you need to meet and you're going to have the experiences you need to have to make you who you're going to be. And I'm not crying. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's a talking head that applies to all of us. And um, your stupid, wonderful, boring, amazing job will teach you things and it will introduce you to to people you need in your life. And there's good in everything. We get a few more small talking heads. I just want to highlight. Aaron asks, how did you do it? How did you capture what it was really like, how we felt and how we made each other laugh and how we got through the day? How did you do it? (laughs) And then she goes, turn for comedy. It says, also, how do cameras work? (laughs) (laughs) Daryl says, every day when I came into work, all I wanted to do was leave. So why in the world does it feel so hard to leave right now? Phyllis says, I'm happy that this was all filmed so I can remember everyone and what we did. I worked for a paper company all these years and I never wrote anything down. Mm. and pam has one more talking head do you want to take this one sure so pam has our final talking head and it's actually the last line the last bit of the episode of the series pam says i thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary but all in all i think an ordinary paper company like dunder mifflin was a great subject for a documentary there's a lot of beauty in ordinary things isn't that kind of the point (laughs) They're, they're on the way out of the office as she's saying this, and she passes by the drawing that she did of the office that's hanging up by what used to be Michael's office. He put it up there, and she passes by, and then she comes back and grabs it and takes it because she's, she's leaving, and it's the most personal thing that she has from her time, the most personal, like, physical thing, I think, that, that she has from her time in the office, and it just means so much, and and the people who share the space with that drawing. And it's a big uh, symbol, I think, for her character. And so she takes it with her uh, probably to Austin. Yeah, I don't know if it was until this time watching this episode that I made the full connection of the history of that painting because that was the first piece of art she ever sold. Mm -hmm. 
And when she unveiled the mural of them, the history of this last decade of their lives in the warehouse earlier, she dedicated it to Jim, who was the first person to encourage her to pursue her art. And all the way back in business school, this painting was her first one sold to Mr. Michael Scott. And he said he was proud of her. And it broke me again. I mean, I was already crying through all of this stuff, but that hit me again <laughs> hard. <laughs> and I have that painting hanging in my room right over there. It's just going to be a reminder for me of all this stuff and all this beauty. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? And I think to Michael in that episode saying, that is our building and we sell paper. And as simple yeah. as that is, he was so proud of that little bit of fact. And it's, it's so great. And I have I have final thoughts on the show, but I kind of want to save it for after funny moments because otherwise it'll be like yeah. really deep and then yeah. all of a sudden it'll be really funny. And yeah, so I'll save it for our, our goodbyes. Yeah, let's do it after deleted scenes. Yeah. Let's yeah. go through some funny moments real quick, as quick as we can, maybe. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> a, a fair bit. The cold open, Dwight says, today marks several important milestones. Of course, this is what you referred to earlier, but we'll go a bit more in depth. Uh, today marks several important milestones. He's pulling out three cakes. He says, Stanley, as you know, is retiring. Stanley, I've been looking forward to this day since I was 18 years old. <laughs> Meredith calls for a speech and Dwight just says no. <laughs> and our next thickly frosted cake <laughs> is for Kevin. And Kevin's excited. He says, yes, I get a cake. Uh, why? And he says, go ahead and read the frosting. And Dwight has a piping bag and is just writing on the cake as he's handing it to him and it says get out kevin says get out what does that mean twice says, well it's a colloquial way of saying you're fired kevin which you are <laughs> uh harsh <laughs> pam says dwight you can't do that twice says, well the cake is spoken pam sorry <laughs> if anyone here can make a case for for kevin staying go for it and everyone's like well you know dwight like and dwight corrects or rephrases he says based on his merit can you think of a reason for him staying? And everyone just says, oh, yeah, uh, no. And Kevin speaks up for himself. He says, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pam says, well, you know what? Toby will stop it because anytime anyone has been fired, Toby's blocked it. So Dwight says, oh, hold on, hold on. Actually, Toby, here's your cake. And he's just squirts frosting <laughs> on top. Like he doesn't even want to write out, get out. He says, bye, Toby. Bye. And Kevin has just taken his hand and pulled cake out of his cake. He's just mouthing it. He says, well, at least I got chocolate. <laughs> so, um, yeah, rough day for, for <laughs> two of the three cake recipients. I mean, to be honest, they probably deserve to be fired several years earlier because neither of them were very good at their jobs. But I'm glad we got the time with Kevin, especially, that we did. Yeah. Dwight in preparation for his bachelor party goes to Jim and says, Oh, Hey Jim, I forgot to mention oftentimes in Hollywood portrayals of bachelor parties, there are accidental murders that won't be necessary tonight. Clark says, great. Now we got three hours to fill. <laughs> I, I, I don't want this, right? You don't need to do that. I feel like he secretly did want it. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Dwight and Angela have some unique practices at their wedding as we should have suspected. Angela comes up to Dwight and, and kisses him, and he says, what's that for? She says, well, to remind you that our wedding is going to be wonderful. Dwight says, oh, I know. It just feels so empty with, with so many of the old gang gone. Angela says, D, it's going to be perfect. The only people that need to be there are you and me. And Dwight says, oh, don't, don't forget the old man to feed us the cheese that he's been fermenting since the day of my birth. You keep forgetting about him. 
Angel says, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I do keep forgetting him. I don't know why. When they get to the restaurant for the bachelor party and Elizabeth, the stripper, shows up, Dwight just wants to order an onion loaf. He says, no one's even taking our drinks. Uh, what's the chef special? As she starts dancing, she says, I bet you boys have a big appetite. He says, oh, we do. So we'll have the onion loaf and please tell us about your heartiest soups. <laughs> She's just not getting it. She is not. And she, she tries to shush him and puts a finger over his lips. And he says, oh, what are, you, are, you, are you giving me a taste of the chef special? And he's, mm, no, tastes like cigarettes. That won't work. That's no good. <laughs> <laughs> and Clark just stares at the camera like, how can someone be so ignorant of what's happening right now? <laughs> and then when we cut back later, she's down to just her underwear now. And he's still trying to order. And Clark just says, Dwight, for the last time, she's not a waitress. He says, you're telling me. Oscar says, if you want her to leave, just tip her. He says, what for? We haven't even gotten bread yet. <laughs> She's horrible. At the wedding, after saying I do, Dwight says, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. Now, please take your hay bales to the reception. They'll be used for seating. Complimentary hay hooks. I've been placed along the aisles. Just stab them on in there. And we see everyone struggling to carry <laughs> these big, huge, heavy hay bales. Um, people are falling over. Hay bales are falling over. It's a disaster. <laughs> when they get to Kevin's bar, Dwight says to Jim first, you did this as a prank. My own bestish mensch. Jim says, nope, not a prank. I think it's time for you to bury the hatchet. Dwight says, waste of a good hatchet. <laughs> then we cut to Dwight and Kevin talking. And Dwight says, it was nothing personal. It's just that you were terrible at your job. Kevin says, you're just saying that to make me feel better. <laughs> Dwight says, no, really, you were terrible at math and organization, time management, personal hygiene. Your internet searches were so filthy, we had to throw out your computer. Kim says, is, is that all it was? Dwight, that's it. He says, come here. And they hug across the bar, and their faces are smushed together. And Dwight says, I missed you, Kevin. Kevin says, I missed you. <laughs> and it's just this, this sweet, tender moment of... Kevin holding Dwight close to his face across a bar. And it's, it's wonderful. Speaking of Kevin, while, while Creed is playing his song, everyone's emotional, but Kevin is especially emotional. And he's just <laughs> crying big tears. And he says, Oscar, Oscar, I think I'm gay. <laughs> Oscar says, why do you say that? What, what makes you think that? And Kevin says, well, it's just that I'm so emotional. <laughs> Oscar says, yeah, but you're not gay. You're not gay. He says, no, it's maybe the reason, Oscar, you're not gay. <laughs> you're just crying. <laughs> when they are walking down the aisle, Phyllis literally carrying Angela on her back, an acoustic version or like a bluegrass version of Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine is playing. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And that's completely unrelated, but just another small one. At the panel, uh, Pam is talking about her relationship with Jim, she says, it, then it got deeper and it got stronger. And now it's better than a fairy tale. It's like a long book that you never want to end. And you're fine with that because you just never, ever want to leave it. The woman who asked the question says, like Harry Potter. Pam says, yeah, like Harry Potter. <laughs> That's exactly like Potter. The, the analogy I'm trying to make. Thank you for connecting those for me. <laughs> the darkness and the death, you know, a lot like that. <laughs> the witchcraft. The witchcraft. <laughs> you know, marriage things. Oscar uh, says that the office kind of expected him to go to the bachelorette party with the girls instead of to the bachelor party. He says, really? Such a cliche. I am a man, so I'm going to the bachelor party with the boys. I just have to remember how I acted before I came out. 
we just cut to Oscar in the limo going, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> just extra broy. And then we, uh, when we get to the restaurant, I had never caught this before, but he, uh, he calls somebody brosive right. on their way in. He's just like <laughs> trying to be a dude. Oh, it's really great. Uh, Andy is telling us about his viral video. He says, after my clip blew up, I actually got a call from the double rainbow guy and the fat Star Wars kid. Turns out they have a support group. Not really my scene. (laughs) (laughs) Dakota, the new accountant, meets Creed on their way into the wedding. But she doesn't meet Creed. She meets Jeff Bimondo, who sells ceramic tile out of Newark. Nice. Nice to meet you. Says, yeah, my wife's name is Catherine. I can show you my social security card if it helps. (laughs) So he is prepared and he is convincing people that he is Jeff. When they first get to the panel and it's pretty empty, nobody, they think nobody cares. Andy says, I, I mentioned this earlier, he says, I'm sorry, guys, this is probably on me. I got hated on pretty hard when that auto-tune went viral. So we're treated to the auto-tune video of him at the America's Next Acapella Sensation audition. And it's fantastic. And then we see Kevin in his bar playing it on the bar TV. And he tells us that people actually dance to this. It's on my jukebox. But none of the money goes to Andy. <laughs> and it cuts back to the panel. And Kevin's just chuckling and says, yeah, people hate you. <laughs> He's aware. He's aware. At the wedding, the, the minister is explaining their traditions. He says, it, as it is traditional to the shrewds, the lovers are standing in their own graves as a reminder that this is the only escape from what they're about to do. And Nellie, who's sitting next to Aaron's mom, says, see, I get what they're trying to do, but why are the graves so shallow? <laughs> and it's true. They're like two feet deep. It's, it would barely cover the person. Yeah. <laughs> it's fairly disturbing. At the office, Andy asks Daryl if it was him he saw getting into a limo at the airport. And Daryl says, nah, it must have been another devilishly debonair individual. And then when they're climbing into the limo for the bachelor party, Daryl says, whoa, haven't been in one of these in forever. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to cover up, continue the, the fantasy that, no, I'm not rich. I'm not riding in limos all the time. Pete is asked a question at the panel. How did it feel seeing your lives played out on TV? But having not been in the documentary for very much of it, no one actually recognizes him. He doesn't have fans. But all his friends call him Plop now. So thanks, PBS, <laughs> for that. And thanks, Andy, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. The quote that we get about the Kalevin from Oscar, he uh, apparently told Dwight, a mistake plus Kalevin gets you home by seven. And Oscar says he was home by 445 that day. <laughs> and then when they get to the bar uh, for the bachelor party, Dwight turns around and finds Kevin. And Kevin goes, well, 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 well. That's six wells. Did I get that number right, Dwight? <laughs> no, you didn't, but still. <laughs> he that says, <laughs> Dwight says, I heard you bought a bar, Kevin. He says, I did. This one. <laughs> Th- thank you for clearing that up. Yes, we knew. <laughs> At the panel, someone asks, do you feel that your life feels pointless now that nobody's actually filming you anymore? It's kind of an odd question. Like, no, life still has meaning. But Toby disagrees. He just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, without hesitation, just, yes. Yeah. That's me. Yes, it does. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> but it might have felt pointless before, so I'm not convinced. At the wedding, people are showing up, and Kevin asks, where's the basket for gifts? And he's holding a cat. And we see behind him, a few more people are bringing cats as gifts, too. So there's a basket just for the cat gifts for Angela for the wedding. So she's building up Which the collection like again. a horrible receptacle. <laughs> Yeah. 
to hold cats. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the whole point is that they're going to be wandering the farm anyways, but who knows? Uh, I guess. Get them used to it. Yeah. Towards the end, when, uh, when they're all sitting around reminiscing, they're sort of doing remember whens. Phyllis says, hey, Jim, remember when you did Flonkerton at the, uh, at the Office Olympics? That was awesome. Jim says, oh, thanks, Phil. Crate says, oh, I still have my medal from that. <laughs> Angela is, um, she slips back into some of her more judgmental tendencies. She says, do you even have a mattress? You live here. No, but I have my medal from that. <laughs> <laughs> He's proud of it, too. He's just still strumming away. Kevin has a talking head. He says, if there is one thing that I've learned through this whole experience is that if you film anybody long enough, they're going to do something stupid. It's only human natural. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Kevin. If you film Kevin for two minutes, <laughs> that's all it takes. <laughs> when uh, Toby and Nellie run into each other at the airport, he, uh, he, as I said, was very happy to see her and she is very distant and she asks, how did you know that my plane just arrived? And have you been stalking me? And he says, no, 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 my, my plane just got in from New York. He asks if she is still with a boyfriend, I guess. He names him. And she says, no, uh, and I thought I unfriended you. And he says, well, anyone can follow a, a, a Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So, yes, you are kind of stalking her. You can always block someone from your Twitter feed. <laughs> you sure can. I feel like that's about to happen. <laughs> Earlier in the episode, Stanley says, you know, I'm living in Florida, a little place called Florida City. The man who delivered my divorce papers came by fan boat, which was kind of fun. <laughs> and uh, later at the after party in the warehouse, Phyllis tries to grab a mug that reads The Office and American Workplace. But the PBS person standing there says, oh, no, those are for PBS executives only. And Stanley holds up a tote bag with his face on it. His face. He says, I had to pledge $50 to my local PBS station just to get this. Okay, that, them's the breaks, I guess. You're famous, but not famous enough. <laughs> My last one, uh, at the start of the episode, Pam says, hey, Meredith looks good. Now that she's wearing sports bras, we don't see her boobs as much. <laughs> so that's definitely a plus. That's helpful. Now we do get a billion deleted scenes here, mm -hmm. so let's get started on those. Meredith has a talking head. She says that she was in a dog fight this summer, and she thought, you know, we should not be eating these things, meaning animals. So I went vegan. One thing led to another, and now I'm in these yoga pants. <laughs> well, maybe it shouldn't be a dog yeah, fight. What, what a place to make <laughs> that realization. Uh, Clark tells us that after the documentary, a lot of boys did Jim's pranks on their sisters. So Jim had to go speak at some schools and say, hey, don't be a slacker like me. <laughs> and he says, but the one he really pities is Andy. But it's all blown over now. There's over 400 documentary and reality shows a year. I can't remember which housewife of where I hate for what anymore. <laughs> so yeah. maybe Andy doesn't have it all that bad, but still. Nate is apparently now the elevator operator <laughs> and crams everyone into the elevator rather than letting them take separate trips or the stairs, claiming that it will save energy, which leads me to believe that Dwight must still own the building. When people try to exit, he just brutally shoves them in and um he's wearing this old timey like operator outfit with that cap and the jacket and he's taking his job very seriously i tried to count and i think it's 14 ish people it's extremely yeah, tight it's too many kevin has a talking head and he says numbers don't always add up who cares why they had about three of us working there full time to add up numbers about three of us <laughs> i'll never know <laughs> that's why i invented Kalevin. but sometimes the numbers didn't even add up with Kalevin. Then you use GOP. Yesterday, I told a guy he owed me 490 GOP. He just looked at me. I felt sad for him. 
there's a little mini plot line here that got cut. Clark has eyes for the new girl, Dakota. And when she forgets her copier code and asks to borrow his, he, uh, he kind of plays hesitant. He's like, you know, Dwight doesn't let us share. And I'd get a lot of trouble if I told you that my code was 11-79. And he's pretty pleased with himself when that, and she's like, oh, got it. Thanks. And he's, he's pretty smitten. And then later at the after party, Dakota is stuck talking to this guy that she does not seem interested in talking to. And she looks over at Clark and rolls her eyes at him and like kind of smiles. And then a couple of PBS execs come up and talk to Clark and they say, you know what? You seem better than this job. They tell him that the American Workplace series is doing a couple of new documentaries this year, one at an oil rig and one at a modeling agency. Does he have any interest in becoming a unit producer? Which sounds awesome. But he declines because he's in the right place for right now. And he's looking at Dakota as he says that, which is some nice. I mean, of course, that hasn't happened yet in the plot of the episode, but it's some nice foreshadowing to some of these talking heads about the beauty and the ordinary and, and finding where you are. But that still sounds like a nice job. <laughs> it does. And it was at a modeling agency, too. There would be plenty of other women yeah, there. But, seriously. I mean, yeah, in the okay. moment. At the bachelorette party, Phyllis asks, OK, Kevin, Toby, Stanley, boink, marry or kill, which I kind of hate that word a lot but still (laughs) and everybody's confused so she has to explain the rules you have to pick which one you do which to aaron says i would kill kevin angela says i would kill toby and everyone else suddenly agrees and even aaron changes her mind rachel says i don't know who any of these people are and nelly speaks up and says trust me you would kill toby (laughs) and between kevin and stanley for the other two they all sort of struggle to decide who they'd boink and they'd marry uh pam says you know this is too hard and Nellie speaks up and says, I would boink Kevin and then I would kill myself. Not funny necessarily, ouch. but ouch. Not really. Angela speaks up and says, you know what, everybody? I think I'm getting cold feet. And all the women are like, yeah, we get it. It's, it's normal to have cold feet the night before a wedding to Dwight. Meredith says, you know what? I called it. Angela says, no, I, I mean, my feet are literally cold. I'm a small person with poor circulation. God. <laughs> so she's offended and rachel says okay is, is someone gonna get her a blanket meredith goes off to get one and rachel says something to angela in their made-up language probably snarky about how everyone just sort of turned against dwight for a second yeah there's the kevin docking head he says well after the dock aired people wanted to buy me a drink it kind of became a thing but i don't drink that much so i ended up with a sixteen thousand dollar credit it was cheaper to make me a partner of the bar and i doubled a business so Oh, for non-accountants, that means I timesed it by two. <laughs> thank, thank you for that definition. Thank you. I thank was unclear. <laughs> but hey, smart, uh, smart and free way to uh, own a business. Yeah, I guess so. Pretty sweet. We get several more questions from the panel. Uh, an attractive man has, an, uh, has a question for Oscar. He says, I think we all want to know if you're still single. And he smiles. And there's some small whoops and cheers. And Oscar very eagerly says, yes, I am. And the guy says, good, because my friend here really likes you. And it's like this elderly man with long hair and a receding hairline and a mustache. And he waves. Oscar just sort of half-heartedly waves and doesn't say anything else. He's clearly disappointed that it's not the guy who actually asked the question. Then there's a woman who asks Daryl if he's dating anyone in Austin right now. And he replies that, well, of course, he's got a name drop. He says, well, I've actually got a pretty good wingman, you know, Dr. J. We're actually going to the NBA finals next month. Oh, but as far as dating, no, I'm keeping my options open. <laughs> Just got to throw that in there. A woman asks Stanley if he's still eating pretzels. <laughs> and then the camera turns and Stanley has fallen asleep in his chair. 
Pete says, hey, uh, should I should I wake him? Phil says, no, you shouldn't. Bad idea. <laughs> a man asks how being in the documentary changed their behavior. And he says that it's really nice to be in this room where he's remembered for all sides of him, which, of course, we we saw in the episode with the chanting. This is all the moments over the years, the good and the bad. And then apparently there was one guy who's, who got into that panel because he wanted to jeer at Andy for the baby Wawa stuff. And uh, as Andy is sort of spilling his, his heart here, this guy says, uh-oh, baby's going to cry. And then the audience all just turns and shushes this guy <laughs> and like reprimands him. And they all turn and focus back on Andy, which is so cool that they all just sort of sided with him. And there's a Daryl talking head. He says, you know, a lot of crowds wouldn't have shushed. Good old PBS. Too bad they get one millionth of the ratings of the internet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> True. But hey, for a documentary about a paper company, awesome turnout on that panel. So uh, We get some wedding toasts. Rachel clinks her glass and gives her maid of honor speech in their made-up language because everybody loves that and everybody clearly does not. Aaron's dad takes out his hearing aid to check to see if it's broken. <laughs> uh, Dwight just looks really confused. Kevin tells Oscar, I didn't know Angela was from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I actually understand some of the language. A little bit. She says, at the beginning, so I don't understand all of it. She says, Angela, my sister, is the best person that I know, and I know a lot of people. At least I think that's Mm. what she says. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch and see if I can decipher better. So I think it's based on this, this is embarrassing, based on this secret language called like Abu Dhabi, I think. I was about to mention that. Yeah. Wabi Chabai Spabi Abba Labatabalabav. But, <laughs> yeah, wasn't it from Zoom on like uh, so. KERA or something? Which is funny, full circle, because the friend that got me into the office also taught me that language. So <laughs> that's, <awesome. laughs> um, that's how I know that. And, and it sounds a lot like that. So I, I got parts of it, but not all of it. That's awesome. Phyllis makes a toast, which is highly inappropriate. And <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. She says that she knew that Dwight and Angela uh, were a thing before anybody else. She says, well, it's because I walked in on them having sex and they acted all mad. But I think they really liked it. And if I'm being honest, I guess I liked it too. And Bob Vance laughs, but no one else does. And she says, you know, Dwight doesn't have any hair on his back at all. Hmm, this isn't apple juice, huh? Okay, cheers. (laughs) Vance Refrigeration, by the way. Sorry, yes, Bob Vance, who is uh, Vance Refrigeration. Uh, Andy has a fantastic one right here. He stands and he clinks his glass. And at first you're like, oh, come on, Andy, you don't have to add to it. And Rachel turns to Angela and says, it's that crying jerk from the internet. This is going to be a train wreck. And she pulls out her phone to film. Andy says, hey, everyone, my name is Andy Bernard, and I'd like to make a toast. Pretty sure whatever comes out of my mouth will not be the most embarrassing moment of my life. I'm going to give a short speech, and I'll do my best to keep it in English. (laughs) And everyone's laughing, and Rachel gives him this nasty look. And Phil says, you can do it, Andy. He says, thank you, Phyllis. I've known the bride and groom for many years, and there was even a brief moment where Angela and I were kind of a thing. But as I look at you today, what is so obvious is that there was never anyone else in the world for Angela Martin other than Dwight Schrute. And so I have a little advice for the groom. Be Dwight Schrute. She loves you. To Dwight and Angela. And everybody cheers. It was a great speech. Wonderful sentiments from Andy, uh, despite their history. And Rachel had been recording, obviously, but she says, ugh, that was lovely. Delete. And so she's just bitter about his his snark about the made-up language. Aaron's parents explained to Aaron why she was put up for adoption. This is huge. 
it also explains a lot as to why Aaron is the way she is, because <laughs> they are also some odd people. They alternate here, so I'll just sort of string their, their text together. They say, mm -hmm. it was a crazy time in our lives. We're puppeteers, and back then we were at the top of our game. We got a call from the Dark Crystal, the bleakest of all the magical alien puppet fantasy films. <laughs> we were through the looking glass. We were speeding all the time. We had carpal tunnel. Back then it was just called the claw. And we didn't know, we're operating the puppets or are the puppets operating us? In truth, it was a little bit of both. And well, we just didn't think it was safe for us to bring a baby into a world that gave us nightmares. But Aaron, it was the biggest mistake of our lives. Can you ever forgive us? And Aaron just slams her head down on the table on her arm and lifts up her hand like a puppet. I think it's sort of like a coping mechanism because she can't just ask them directly. But she says, so there was nothing wrong with me through her puppet hand. And her parents are, oh, Aaron, no, no, there was nothing wrong with you. And then her mom reaches over and corrects her puppeteering technique. Just, just, tuck, your, <laughs> just tuck your thumb in, love. <laughs> and then Aaron tells them that she loves them and they hug. And it's really nice. It is really nice, but it's also really weird. I'm it's so weird. <laughs> I'm not upset that it's not in the episode. No, it <laughs> like, makes I'm just sense. fine with what we get. Yeah. <laughs> At the after party, Daryl is talking to Val. He says, you know, I have a nice place in Austin. I could totally put you up. And she says, you know, I'd like that. And as she takes a sip of wine and looks away, he kind of makes a face like, no, I, I wouldn't like that. I was just trying to say things. <laughs> like, Austin's really far away. I didn't expect you to take me up on that offer. <laughs> it's sort of a Joe Bennett, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that offer to Michael. <laughs> yeah. I always have a couch to sleep on or whatever. Great, I bought a ticket. No. <laughs> Back in the office, they're going through more of their remember whens. Phyllis asks if they remember when Ed Truck got his head cut off and everyone kind of cringes and laughs and she says, well, you know, but it happened. Toby asks if they remember when he won the fun run, but nobody seems to remember that he did. And Andy even says, no, that wasn't you. Erin <laughs> changes the subject from that. She says, oh, but there's Florida. Oh, I loved Florida. And Andy says that he lost his job over Florida the first time. And Erin says, yeah, but it was worth it. And Andy agrees, which is. An interesting conversation, I guess, because he went down for Aaron. Mm -hmm. And even though they didn't work out, and by the way, they don't discuss it in this episode, but it appears, I think, as though Pete and Aaron are still together. Yeah, it seems that way. They dance together at the wedding, they dance I think. Together. But it's nice that they both agree that their relationship was important to them. And it, it wasn't a waste for Andy to go down there, even if it meant losing his job. Yeah, it was really sweet. It was a we have no regrets about what we were kind of right. thing. Then Kevin speaks up and says, you guys remember when Obama got elected? <laughs> and everyone yep. says, sure, Kevin. Toby says, uh, the, the first or the second time. And Kevin's just like, wait, there were two times. <laughs> like, I, he doesn't know what he's talking I don't about. Daryl asks, who's been here the longest? And Stanley says, well, it, it was me, but Phyllis has it now. And she says, yeah, I started two days after Stanley. And Stanley's retiring, or he has retired. Oscar thinks he remembers working there before Stanley, uh, but Toby's sure that he was working there before Oscar. And Jim says, he kind of jokes, oh, well, that, that plant, that fern that's sitting by uh, Pam's desk has been here the longest. But Meredith has never seen that plant before. She doesn't remember it being there. <laughs> and Andy decides, you know what? It's time for that plant to, to move on. And I have to say, when I was watching this, at first it was like, where is this going? This is odd. I don't, I don't yeah. get it. And it's a little odd. But they all decide, yeah, let's get this, this plant some sunlight once and for all. And so they march the plant outside in the parking lot at the entrance. There's a little grassy patch. And they dig a hole and they plant it there. 
Dwight, of course, critiques their planting skills, and they all start chanting, office plant, office plant, <laughs> which is super weird until the very last deleted scene is one last shot of the office plant in its new home at the entrance to the building. And taking in sun for the first time. Right. Just moving on and um, new homes, new lives. Toby has a talking head. He says, I learned something watching the documentary, just trying to make an honest living, doing your best, trying to find love and maybe something to smile about. That's heroic. You know, that's why in my latest Chad Flenderman novel, (laughs) Chad's just a day-to-day office worker like the rest of us. Until a mysterious letter arrives. (laughs) (laughs) His mystery novels sound like the least interesting things ever. (laughs) I wonder if there's some like fan fiction out there. Somebody's written some. Oh, that would be so great. There's an Angela talking head. She says, 10 years ago, a doctor told me that the muscles in my cheeks had atrophied from lack of smiling. So I had exercises to do at bedtime. During this talking head, we're getting flashbacks of Angela in the early seasons. And it's she really nailed the no no smiling face. We get a lot less mm-hmm. of that in later seasons, but she's just like <laughs> so severe. Faced. Yeah, very severe. She said, well, the exercises helped some, but now I'm smiling all the time and I don't even notice. And she says, so, yeah, I think I'm less of a total B now. <laughs> uh, she says the word, which is, again, sort of a stretch for her. She would have never cursed in the past, but mm-hmm. she uh, she's a little bit looser and more fun now so she uh she can she can curse now if she wants to that's a talking head i wish they had left in minus that last line yeah like i think that would have been a really good talking head a, a good self-reflection moment for angela i'm smiling all the time and i don't even notice yeah yeah clark has a talking head he says yeah it's hard not to get emotional when everybody around you is getting very emotional but somehow i've managed to do it i feel great i had a ton of meatballs at the warehouse party just ate a lot of meatballs <laughs> so he's immune to all the nostalgia and the feel goods. Pete, however, is not so much. He's talking head. And our, our last deleted scene we haven't covered, he says, I always knew looking back on the tears would make me laugh, but I never knew that looking back on the laughs would make me cry. Unknown. It's my yearbook quote. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice. I hadn't heard that yeah. before. And it's um very, very applicable, especially in the last quarter of of this finale episode of just the um all of the nostalgia and all of the good old days talk it's uh yeah. very applicable it was nice to hear something from pete too because i think we only got like two lines from him in the whole episode anyways so mm-hmm. for him to have a, a nice little moment okay well that's all of our deleted scenes uh we are i guess we can go ahead and talk about what the next step is for us because yes this is our last episode discussion but it is not our last thing we're recording for the podcast. We still have some bonus things to catch up on, the stuff we normally do, a couple things to finish up for our Patreon subscribers. So this is our last one for now. It, it is the last official episode. There will not be an episode 109. But we will be recording a few more things after Katie gets married next weekend and uh, goes on her yeah. honeymoon and she's back and settled in at home. And so we'll have a few more things for you to look forward to. And that's when we'll cover some voicemails. So if you still want to leave us some voicemails, you can do that and you'll, you'll still get featured on the show. And so I thought we could take a moment to just offer up some final thoughts on the show. If you had any, I don't have any written down, but I just, I know how much this show means to so many people. Um, we've even gotten messages from various people about how this show in particular pulled them out of a dark time or helped them grow up or 
you know, just sort of formed a lot of people into who they are. And as it did run nine seasons, for a lot of people, I think our age and even a little bit older than us, uh, it was during some pretty formative years of their lives. It's one of the great shows in uh, in modern American history. It's definitely revered as such. And it's not everyone's cup of tea. I know that. I know people love, they love The Office or they hate The Office. But sentimentality aside, uh, which is hard to do, the <laughs> the show offered... It opened up a broad sort of channel of TV. TV took a big turn, I think, after The Office aired and after it concluded. And, of course, the Greg Daniels, Michael Schur, you know, worlds mm-hmm. definitely took off after this as well. And, and they have long, successful careers. But sentimentally, <laughs> um, this show, I count this as the best finale possibly that i've seen on on television in its beauty mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a beautiful wrap up they try to touch on everyone they they tie up so many loose ends and they they give us a great sense of finality and kind of peace in their world like of course we'll miss it but they send you off with the feeling that everyone's going to be okay yeah what do you think I watch a lot of TV shows and there are a lot of TV shows that I like a whole lot, but I've always looked at the office as something unique. A lot of people do. And I've talked about how I came to the show late, not until, you know, several seasons were on Netflix did I start watching. And since then it's still easily the show that I've watched the most. And it's not the comedy that makes me come back again and again. It's the character relationships. It's about how you can look at Jim or Pam or Dwight or Angela or Andy or even Michael at the start of the show, look where they end up. And yeah, they make me laugh along the way, but it's more their human qualities and their human experiences that make me watch again and again. And I see The Office as a very funny drama. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there aren't other shows out there that might be a bit similar, but to me, there will never be a show like it, at least not one that affects me in the same way. And, you know, I mean, I just spent two years, 125 hours of my life talking about this show. And you know what? I'll probably watch it again in full next year and the year after that and on and on and on. And, you know, aside from just the content of the show, The Office has given me community with so many people I wouldn't have interacted with otherwise. The the fan communities, our incredible audience, we've got a million downloads. That's insane. And that's just downloads. That's not even listens. Yeah. Like, they don't count yeah. listens. They only count downloads. So that's crazy. That kind of struck me the other day. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are just so few communities out there as passionate as fans of The Office. And, you know, it's also my time spent doing this with you. Mm-hmm. We, we were friends before, but the extent of our friendship at the time was occasional tweets at each other. Yeah. And it would be like about Hamilton or about <laughs> coffee. And yes, about The Office sometimes. And I checked. July 9th, 2017 was when I asked you about doing this crazy podcast thing. And here we are two years later and 100 plus episodes, 1 million plus downloads later. And you're now one of my best friends and I'm going to your wedding in a week. (laughs) And The Office did that. And I'm so incredibly thankful for the tons of laughter, for the, the buckets of tears and for everything else this show has done for me. So. We would love to hear everybody else's stories about The Office and about our show, if you have any, because we found a lot of meaning in it for ourselves. 
And we hope that others have too. The voicemails or the messages that we've received about people's personal stories with the show have been some of my favorites because that's Mm -hmm. what it's all about. And that's really even what they touch on in the finale episode. It's, it's, it's about the community and it's about the people you meet along the way. So the people, the people, people. (laughs) um, yeah. So I, I know that this, this show is special and if you've made it this far in the podcast or if you finish the show, at all uh you know it's special too and um that's why we chose this show it's it's it means so much to both of us and it's a show i'll watch forever it's a show i'll mm-hmm. watch for the rest of my life because it's it's just that good in so many ways yes it's hilarious and it's one of the most touching shows as well and i, I don't want to keep rambling because it speaks for itself um <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible television. So do you want to close us out? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, let's let's wrap this up. So this is the end of our official 108th episode of An American Workplace. But again, stay tuned for some wrap-up material coming soon at some point. Got a couple of weeks to, uh, to be away, which is going to be great. So when I come back, we will, uh, we will get working on that. In the meantime, you can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. Our social media will stay active and we will both be manning that uh, well past the podcast. So you can Mm -hmm. always find us there or at our personal uh, social media, which we will list in a moment. You can rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, which will help, again, long past we hit stop recording for the last time. That uh, That will help. Keep this alive and keep the community going. The community doesn't have to stop just because recording has. If you have messages, if, if you want to say hi, you can always email us. Our email is going to be open as well. That's workplacepod at gmail.com. And voicemails, as far as those go, that will be open until we finish recording our bonuses. So now is the time to call in. If you haven't, if you want to say anything, dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. We would love to hear from you. Still try and keep them a little short just because hopefully we get several and we'd love to play several voicemails on one or two of those bonus episodes. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 and at facebook.com slash kd.white. I've heard from several people. I'd love to hear from more. Reach out, say hi, say say you've been listening. It's just nice to uh, to meet people who've been listening. Um, podcasting can often be so one-sided. I talk a lot and the audience doesn't always talk a lot. So it's nice to hear the audience um, talk back. That's what makes it so special. And the best place for me is at Chadadada on Twitter as well. C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. Those are the places you can find me. My other podcast, Cinescope, you can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And I'll go ahead and say my next project is revamping Cinescope. So very soon you're going to be seeing hopefully lots more episodes of Cinescope. I'm excited to return to it now that we're wrapping up this show. And I would really love it. I would really love it if a lot of our listeners from this show went back to Cinescope and listened to me talk about more things that I'm passionate about. So It's a really great podcast. I've listened to a lot of it, and um, I vouch for it. Go listen. Go to Chad's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Katie's been on an episode, too. We talked about Forrest Gump. We did Forrest Gump, which was our first podcast together. We did that just before yeah. starting this one. So if you want to hear a very inexperienced Katie do her very first <laughs> podcast, go there. It's embarrassing. <laughs> 
Well, that's all the more reason for you to come back on the show and talk about a movie yeah. again. Who As knows? someone who has been uh, <laughs> doing this for two years now. Yeah. Yeah, you're a pro. Uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Uh, show notes, contact information, everything that we've just got over can be found at our website, which will also stay up, which is workplacepodcast.com. And that's all for now, I guess. Thank you for joining us to watch <laughs> one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 108 of An American Workplace. We'll chat with you all soon. Reach out. Say hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us on this journey. It's been incredible. We've said it before, and I'll say it again. This is not at all. The uh, really what I thought it was going to be in any aspect, um, including our amazing audience. So just thank you. Uh, this has been a huge part of our lives for two years now. And it's, it's, it was a lot of work as well. So it's been really nice to get the feedback and to hear the, just to hear the audience talk. Just thank you for, for being a part of our community. Yes, thank you. See you next time. Goodbye. There's a little mini plot line here that got cut. Dwight has eyes for the new girl, Dakota. Not Dwight, Clark, (laughs) Katie. That would be a big plot twist. That would be a true problem. Saved it for the last episode. (laughs) That's that's why we... No. What am I trying to say? (laughs) I don't know what I'm trying to say.